Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week. Coming up today, Tom will see what the Airbus CEO really thinks about the A380, while I take a look at Singapore Airlines' record profit. I will talk about another airline's record-breaking performance, Aerostana, while Joe sees why JetBlue is struggling to get its third European destination underway. Finally, Tom will tell us about the latest drama facing Lufthansa passengers. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And, you know, I wanted to straight away hijack the podcast for my wonderful A380 segment. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's quite interesting because um, obviously last week um, Airbus had its annual results presentation. um, And, you know, we were invited along to that online. And the thing I love about these, you know, I find find the numbers boring, really. But I think most people would um, unless you're really financially inclined. But it's the Q&A that I live for in these things. and, you know, there was the option for us to ask questions. So, of course, I asked the question of the A380's future. Specifically, I asked, you know, um, I asked Guillaume if if there's a, you know, how long does Airbus keep going with the A380? Because, you know, they're not making it anymore. But Emirates is going to fly it for who knows how long, mid-2030s, so quite a while. And they're going to need spare parts and stuff. Um, and it was really interesting because uh, Guillaume Forey told us, we do what we do with all our existing products, which are no longer in production. And some have a very long life after production has finished. We'll support it as long as there are aircraft in service. Even more, it is the A380, and it's so symbolic and emblematic of our products. So full support to the A380s in service. You know, I, I found it really interesting, though, because he added that he would personally be very happy to see the planes flying as long as possible over the next decades. And given how much hate some people give the A380 and, you know, like, I'm sure it's, you know, it, I love that the A380 is so popular within Airbus because it was a bit of a failure as a product, but it's still iconic and, you know, they love it. Um, but it's quite interesting because... Um, I feel like the A380 is a fleet like no other because I can't, to the top of my head, think of another aircraft type where one operator basically operates half of the fleet. Um, so it was really interesting because he did mention the relationship with Emirates and he said, we've got a special relationship with Emirates as half of the worldwide fleet is flying with them. We have a very close relationship in terms of support, retrofits and improvements of the plane moving forward, even if we no longer produce the aircraft. So, you know, it, it's not necessarily groundbreaking, but I think it's quite interesting that it does show that, um, you know, just because they've finished making the A380, it's not dead in their eyes. Um, I'm quite interested to see what they mean in terms of improvements to the plane. You know, I guess it will be little things here and there like, oh, you can do this and save a tiny bit of fuel or so. I don't think it's going to be anything groundbreaking like let's put entirely new wingtips on the side and see what happens. Um but, you know, it was interesting because it wasn't just um, all happy about the A380. One of um, the journalists from Sirium um, asked a follow-up question, you know, basically asking about second-hand A380s. Because so far, you know, we've seen one second-hand A380 with um, Highfly. And that went that idea went down like a cup of cold sick, basically. No one... I mean, it wasn't perfectly timed with the pandemic. But even before the pandemic, you know, it wasn't 
being used to its full potential. Um, so Forey also mentioned this. He said it's good to see the A380s coming back to service with the airlines that had decided to retire them, but it remains a very specific product and we don't see a very dynamic secondary market really changing the future with a capacity gap. However, with the withdrawal of a lot of long-haul aircraft, maybe we could see something like that, but that's ahead of us and I don't see it yet. Um, so, you know, you know, I I don't think there will ever be a second-hand market for the A380, even if other aircraft are retired on bulk, because, you know, we saw loads of 747 retirements and they haven't been, that hasn't had a huge impact. You know, they've been replaced with narrowbody, uh, with um, twin jets. So, I, I don't ever see a, a second-hand market for the A380 personally, but, you know, biggest one of the biggest fans of it, so I want it to keep flying as long as it will. <laughs> I think it depends how a lot of these new markets mm. develop aviation-wise, because, like, if you consider India, for instance, and the number of airlines they've got there and the, the number of um, planes that are flying every day, still only something like one in 10 people in India has ever been on a plane. Mm. You know, if the country's wealth accelerates and more people want to fly, you know, maybe there's scope for an all Airbus A380 airline to fly out of Delhi to connect to London and Sydney I mean, and places like that, you know, like in a dream world. <laughs> well, they were, there was meant to be Kingfish as A380s and that never materialised. But, true, you know, true. I personally don't see it happening i think the problem is it's i think it's such a great airplane but it, the the applications that it's really great for are so niche so mm. you know for ba it works really well because it allows them to free up some slots at heathrow um, yeah. for emirates it works really well for some reason that i'm not entirely sure of <laughs> you know like i could i would imagine like a fleet of ba size working well but they make this giant fleet work well where no one else would be able to but you know mm. um it does in these niche niche applications it works really well but only in these niche applications really yeah we'll have to wait and see but mm. uh, i still hold out hope there'll be a role for it you know it would be a shame to see all these multi-million dollar planes just rusting in the desert for the rest of their lives when they were retired so young but mm. i guess well, I we'll mean, see <laughs> some of them won't ever fly again but hopefully more can so I wanted to talk a little bit about Singapore Airlines, um, not about A380s. And unfortunately, Ooh. Tom, it does include <laughs> numbers. So uh, oh, <laughs> I'll, uh, okay. I'll give you a prod if you start falling asleep. Yeah. Uh, but it's really interesting. <laughs> Singapore Airlines as a group um, reported the highest ever quarterly operating profit in the last quarter of 2022. This was published just this week. And in fact, it's well on track to post its first full year of profit since before the pandemic, which would have been full year 2022. 2018 to 19. So the third quarter, which for Singapore Airlines is October to December, um, they made a net profit of just over $500 million. That was up from just $85 million in the same period of the, the previous financial year. Total revenues grew mm. by 8% to $3.35 billion. I had to double check that number because it sounded like a lot, but that, that is what they're raking in, um, even though the profit's a bit smaller than that. Yeah. Um, from April to December, so the first nine months of this financial year, the group reported a $1.2 billion net profit, billion dollar net profit, mm. compared to a loss of $560 million in the previous year. So that, those nine-month results alone means that Singapore Airlines Group is already doing better than it did in the whole year of 2018 to 19, which was obviously the, the last year before the pandemic and the last time it posted a full-year profit. Mm. So, you know, 2023 or the end of that financial year, which is 22 to 23, is looking really good. Um, 
And against this backdrop of strong financial results, there's some really exciting times ahead for Singapore Airlines. Um, so the fourth quarter, which is this one we're in now, is usually a bit slower um, in terms of holiday traffic. You know, you've had Christmas and the New Year. Mm. Uh, but we're already a month in and things so far are looking pretty good. Um, the group has carried 2.61 million passengers in January compared with just over half a million in 2022. Um, things did go down a little bit compared with December. It was about 3% less passengers um, and load factors were down by about 3%, not a lot. So it's a really good start and bodes well that it will post a full year profit um, and potentially a much better year than it had pre-COVID, which is very exciting. Mm. Um, but of course, there's some more stuff going on as well, because back in November, Singapore Airlines made an agreement with the Tata Group to sell right. its, um, uh, to take, sorry, a 25% stake in Air India in exchange for its minority stake in Vistara and a bit of money. Um, so the Tatars are going to merge Vistara into the new and improved Air India, which, as we know, just signed a record-breaking deal for lots and lots of new planes. Um, so that should be a really strong partner for Singapore Airlines going forward, being a kind of quarter ownership mm. status with that airline. There's more partnership stuff in the works as well. So they're planning to launch a new code share with Thai Airways later this year. And that will get people funneled from, from the Thai network onto Singapore Airlines long haul flights to the Americas and particularly to South Africa, because those are two markets that Thai doesn't currently serve. That will be great for Singapore Changi Airport, of course, because that will be the connecting point. Um, and also it recently signed a memorandum of understanding with Vietnam Airlines for code sharing. So very much lots of partnership work going on there um good news for me because you know how much i love my little planes <laughs> their yes. budget subsidiary scoot um just last week signed a letter of intent for nine embraer e190 e2s uh, with deliveries coming in 2024 and 2025 this is the smallest airplane that the singapore airlines group has ever operated and clearly you know with there not being many airlines in singapore scoot will be the first singaporean airline to operate this aircraft um it's 112 seats and it's going to be used for thinner routes to non-metro destinations that Scoot and Singapore don't currently serve. Um, right now, their smallest aircraft with Scoot is the A320 um, and Singapore Airlines obviously has the 737 MAX with 154 seats. Mm. In fact, I remember us getting very excited about when Singapore was taking the MAXs because right. they'd never had a, such a small aircraft. Because it was um, originally with their other carrier that they wrapped up, wasn't it? Yeah, what was that called? Now? I don't know. I just I was hoping <laughs> you would tell was me it then. Peach? I think it no, was. No, I don't. Peach is Japanese. Um, you keep oh, talking. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna now. find it out, and we'll we'll tell you by the end of this section <laughs> what the airline was. <laughs> I just I can remember us getting all excited about the Singapore Airlines livery on this little 737 and it looked so good. Mm. In fact, it's now got 15 737 Maxes in the fleet and they're working alongside seven 737 NGs. Um, but of course, the majority of the fleet is still the wide bodies. It's got 23 triple 7300 ERs and 12 A380s. Mm. Tom will be delighted to hear 61 A350s. I didn't realise its fleet was quite so massive on the A350 side mm. um, and 15 Dreamline. So it's 133 aircraft in all. Did you find out the name I of did. that airline? It was Silk Air. Oh, of course it was. <laughs> as soon as I was Googling it, I was like, oh, this is it. But I just popped it in and we popped up. So um, yeah, we can Amazing. make magic live on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we forget things, we can because we can like mm. Google stuff and remind ourselves. <laughs> 
But I'm really excited to see um, Scoot flying the E2, I have to say. I think that's going to be fun. Um, and of course, it's great to see Singapore Airlines making a profit because for a largely long haul focused airline, the pandemic was more than a little difficult for them. Mm. Um, and like I say, good news for Changi as well, who I'm sure will be delighted to see the airline returning to profit. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, you know, I'm excited to see them have such a small airplane. Um, I, no, you're not. You like the A380. I do. You I just do. want to know where Singapore Airlines is flying its A380. <laughs> no, I, I like the A380, but I'm also a fan of this little Embraer. Um, hmm. You know, I, it, it did surprise me when I wasn't expecting an order from for the airplane at all, really, but especially from that part of the world. So that, that mm. surprised me. But, you know, Singapore aren't the only company that's doing well. And I wanted to talk about one of my top five favorite airlines um, because we've done my favorite airplanes, so now let's get on the favorite <laughs> airlines. And that is Kazakhstan's Aeristana. And, you know, they turned 21 this year and their past year, the 2022 financials are really impressive for this airline because they are actually quite record-breaking. Like They're not just like, oh, we've topped our record by one cent. You know, they've really, <laughs> they've basically doubled their um, after-tax profit year on year. And last year, 2021 was already a good year. So what happened? Well, you know, the airline did have some issues in the past year because there was obviously the war in Ukraine was meaning that they couldn't fly they had to they closed all of their Russian routes and they also had to fly around Ukraine and Russia and to get to London that even added some stops on the way at points um but it wasn't just that because there was also if you cast your mind back to January 2022 um there was some political unrest in Kazakhstan that actually led to the airline suspending its operations for a few days but you know all of this happened and the airline still broke every record so its uh, after tax profit was 78.4 million in 2022 and that's up from 36.1 million in 2021 um the revenues from uh, came from 7.35 million passengers the revenues actually exceeded 1 billion dollars um and that was up uh, from the previous year as well so it's it's all you know quite exciting um for me because <laughs> i think it's a cool airline but um you know it's um, always interesting because uh, the CEO, Peter Foster, put it into perspective. Um, he said the group significantly exceeded expectations despite political unrest in Kazakhstan in January and the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February. Revenue lost caused by the closure of routes to, from and over Russia was more than compensated by increased capacity deployment for Europe, Asia, India and the Caucasus. Um, mm. Caucasus. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I've said that wrong, but um, you know what I mean. Um, but yeah. the, the thing I find really interesting about this is, you know, would Aristana ever need to return to Russia? Because if they're doing better out of Russia than in Russia with these new routes, you know, I think perhaps politically, if things calm down, then maybe they would, because I think they're quite they're, they're quite close neighbours, um, mm. or I believe they were. Um, um, but yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that, you know, they've lost a whole market, but actually losing that market appears to have done them a world of good. Um, yeah. 
But, you know, it's not just um, the, the airline that's growing because it did launch in 2019 its subsidiary, Fly Aristan. And this is, I think, the, low, the first low-cost carrier in the region. Um, hmm. You know, 2019 wasn't a full year because they started midway through. Then 2020 was basically a write-off because of COVID. So uh, 2021 was their first proper year. Um, and, you know, They've even continued their expansion and things are just going swimmingly with the low-cost side as well in 2022. Um, you might remember that they got their first brand new aircraft, which was an Airbus A320neo um, in the latter part of the year. And actually, if you want to put numbers on it, Fly Aristan has now grown by 366% since its inaugural year in 2020, wow. 2019. Um, That's impressive. And uh, Foster mentioned that it has a great future as the region probably has the fastest growing low-cost air travel market in the world today. Um, to, so watch out for, you know, Wizz Air with their worldwide <laughs> expansion, I would say, because if they get oh, yeah. winded this, they'll be there in a heartbeat. Um, but, you know, like I mentioned, this year is the 21st anniversary of Aerostana in May. Um, and, you know, I'm really interested to see what the next 21 years brings, because we know already that they're going to take delivery of free Boeing 7879s in 2025, and they're going to be leased from Air Lease Corporation, which... On the face of it, doesn't sound quite interesting. But the interesting thing is, they actually have another seven eight three uh, seven eight seven eights on order directly from Boeing with an order that was placed in February 2012. So, you know, could we see six seven eight sevens at one point? We'll wait and see. Mm. But you know, um, best of luck for the next 21 years. It was such an interesting airline, and I think it's a blueprint in how to set up and run a profitable airline in a very mm. difficult part of the world at the end of the day. You know, it's a, it's all a new concept, you know, particularly the low-cost side, and they've done a great job. Yeah. Um, but it's funny they're having their anniversary because there's another airline that I wanted to talk about that's also just had quite a big anniversary. Great segue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, because on February the 11th, um, that marked 23 years since JetBlue commenced operations. I mean, this is really making me feel old because to me, JetBlue is still like a fairly new airline. No, they're, they're old enough to have children that would be driving by now. So um, anyway, uh, so it was 23 years since their first flight, which took place on February the 11th in 2000. Um, that was between New York JFK and Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International. Um, of course, they had some really big stumbling blocks in that first year because that was the same year of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Mm. Um, but they've done really well. They've grown to become the sixth largest airline in the US by passengers carried. And their fleet is now 290 airplanes. Um, but I think one of the key moments in JetBlue's history was when it launched about 18 months ago its first flight across the Atlantic. Right. Um, of course, they flew JFK to London yep. and then later <laughs> in the year launched Boston. Um, and now they're planning to begin flights to Paris this summer um, from New York and Boston as well. But there's a third European city it Ooh, has its eye on. More. It's Amsterdam, of course. <laughs> so it wants to operate a daily service from both JFK and Boston Logan using its Airbus A321 long range aircraft. Of course, the same model, it flies to London with the lovely mint suite. Mm. Um, but when JetBlue asked for slots at Amsterdam Schiphol back in September, hopefully for launching flights this summer, 2023, the request was denied. Um, now the airline is bringing in the big policymaking guns, asking that the Department of Transportation make KLM surrender at least two daily Schiphol slots in JetBlue's favour if the Dutch authorities continue to deny the slot allocation request. 
So they um, lodged a filing in, I think it was about Valentine's Day or so, Hmm. um, where it said that this is its last resort. It's been repeatedly subject to what it calls blatant discrimination from Amsterdam's slot coordinator, Airport Coordination Netherlands, ACNL. Um, But Amsterdam, of course, has its own problems because they had a bit of a summer last year, um, (laughs) shall we say, (laughs) putting it nicely. Um, There's been plenty of coverage. I won't go into it. But they're trying to mitigate that happen again. There is going to be a bit of a passenger cap for this summer. And from November 2023, yearly movements at Amsterdam are going to be reduced by up to 60,000. This isn't related to the disruption. This decision was made last year in an effort to slash noise and air pollution across the region. However, JetBlue argues that because it operates the A321LR, which is quieter and lower lower emitting than the vast majority of aircraft served in Amsterdam today. I don't know why JetBlue speaks like that, but (laughs) (laughs) there we go. Um, That it should be allowed to have those slots, even though there's this general consensus that they want to start slowing things down at Schiphol. I mean, I think they should just get them for the variety, you know, just give the plane spotters more planes to see. Yeah, something that's not KLM blue. (laughs) The jet blue. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Um, So, in fact, JetBlue is claiming um, some fairly uh, strict policies in its um, fight with the the slot coordinator. So it's claimed that they're in violation of the US-European Open Skies Agreement. More importantly, they've said they are in violation of the International Air Transportation Fair Competitive Practices Act of 1978. That can actually be a lawsuit if it goes much further, um, but we'll have to see how that goes. There are some spare slots at Amsterdam, and I think this is what's annoying JetBlue because Flybe has gone, Aeroflot's not flying in there anymore. Um, But of course, Amsterdam has this vision to reduce traffic and make sure it can cope with the summer peak. So it looks like it doesn't want to reallocate them. It's just kind of letting them sit there and not giving them out. Um, Mm. However, if JetBlue does succeed in wrangling away some slots from KLM, it wouldn't be the first time it's happened. um, Because back in 2018, Norwegian, when it was doing its long haul and, you know, Dreamliner based operations, um, it made the Dutch flag flag carrier give up some slots in order to allow more competition on the Amsterdam to New York route Mm. in line with European Union regulations. So the fact that it's got a precedent kind of says that they, they might go in JetBlue's favour. But also there's the thing that um, Norwegian is an EU airline and KLM is an a- a EU airline. So they were both operating under EU rules mm. and the EU could kind of say, well, in everyone's best interest, this is our decision. Now you've got the DOT in the US telling the Dutch what to do. And I don't think that's really going to go down very well. I also <laughs> wonder, you know, yeah, that you say it's not going to go down very well, but how much jurisdiction does the DOT have over the Dutch? Exactly, exactly. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, I'm always for seeing more JetBlue in Europe. Mm. Um, I'd love to see them flying into Amsterdam, but I'm not sure that I necessarily agree that KLM should be forced to give up slots. I think the, the flag carriers are always punished mm. for you know something they've got very little control over. But I guess we'll wait and see how that um, how that plays out. Yep. As we like to say on this podcast, watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to talk about another airline that's having a bit of a mare this year, um, and we 
kind of already spoke about their problems last week. Because um, last week we were talking about how Lufthansa had a total IT meltdown on Wednesday, which led to no flow. It led to the closure of Frankfurt Airport affecting every mm. operator. Um, basically, the same thing or a similar thing happened on Friday, but not quite as um, worse for Lufthansa passengers, but not as bad for Frankfurt Airport. Um, so what am I talking about? Well, basically... Um, there was a strike on Friday because um, well, we've been having lots of strikes at Frankfurt recent, or in the past year. You know, there were security strikes about a year ago and then Lufthansa had strikes. Um, this wasn't actually Lufthansa on strike, though. The problem was that um, airport staff went on strike. And, you know, if it, it, it's this, this whole section, it's this whole idea that one section of staff can ground an operation because you know if the cleaners mm. aren't cleaning the toilets you know it's not ideal but it doesn't mean you can't run an airport um, yeah. but safety critical stuff you know it absolutely does impact so um what essentially happened was frankfurt i say it was better for frankfurt as a whole it wasn't because the airport was essentially closed all day on friday um with no passengers flying with lufthansa or i think there were a handful of other aircraft that what did take off and land but i think that was more you know, it was more um, the problem would have been with departing passengers. So perhaps the arrivals were allowed to land and then they flew back empty. I'm not entirely sure on that. But you may think, well, last week was terrible for Lufthansa. It can't get much worse. If you're thinking that, mm. I'm sad to say you're wrong. Um, what we found out at the end of last week is that Lufthansa is now cancelling more than 30,000 flights this summer. And this is uh, because of Lufthansa's fault now, because they've got a bit of a staffing problem. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, if you haven't got a pilot, for example, you can't operate a flight. Or if you haven't got enough crew, you can't operate a flight. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one to watch because, you know, it's by doing it now, maybe they get the passengers, uh, the, the crew that they need. But if you, it's a lot better from everyone's perspective to cancel a flight for summer in February. Um, because, you know, if the passengers are affected, they've got time to rebook. Mm. Um, the airline also, you know, if a flight is cancelled at the last minute, they've got to put them on already almost full flights, whereas there's still going to be plenty of space to move people about this early. And, you know, at the end of the day, if they do have enough uh, crew, they can maybe reinstate the flights. Um, but also your essentially having to give compensation in Europe when you cancel flights at the last minute. So by cancelling mm. them so far out, they've also... Um, Saved themselves a bunch of money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I'm interested to see what this summer holds for Lufthansa because I really had no visibility that they were having any sort of staffing shortage mm. this severe until we found out last week. Um, so, yeah, one to watch. Um there. Um, another interesting thing that I will just mention about Lufthansa as we wrap up the podcast is that next week I will be flying to uh, see the new Lufthansa product, uh, cabin products that we heard about, the Allegris. Um, so I'm sure next week on the podcast I'll have plenty to say about that. <laughs> I always enjoy you trying to describe a seat without any pictures. So it's going to be a fun <laughs> podcast. I'll look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
maybe I could do uh, two sections on it because they, I feel like there's going to be a lot to see, but we'll wait and see. Or to visualize Here's your with warning. your voice. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I think that's all we've got time for today. Uh, although I could go on all day, this has been a lot of fun. But uh, we hope you enjoyed it too and welcome any feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.